Good evening, everyone. Welcome back to Polito Talk with Timbeer, with your host, Timbeer. This episode is another special episode that will be my third interview, a brief one, of my Progressive Summit lineup. With me today is David Kim, who is running to be Congressman of California's 34th Congressional District. Uh, David, thank you so much for joining us. How are you this week? Hi, yes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be on. Um, I am doing great this week. I know that a lot of stuff has happened this week with um, some wins and losses for the down-ballot progressives all across the country. So it was definitely um, inspiring and uh, very deeply moving to see just for all of those who ran, um, just very proud and, and just very hopeful because I know that despite some um, hiccups and uh, uh, kind of losses, that's fine because that's just the beginning. And I think if we just keep on pushing, we'll get there. And so, so yeah, that was my week. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to, to continue fighting this fight for our campaign as well. So thanks for having me. No problem. Um, so you, that kind of already answered my first question. So I'm going to ask another <laughs> one here. Um, so Got it. for some of the candidates who have lost, um, do you want, do you hope to see a 2022 run from them or something in the future? Um, cause like New York 12, for example, Maloney beat Siraj Patel in 2018 by much larger margins than this time around. Um, Lauren Ashcraft was an amazing candidate. It was her first run. She did pretty good for her first run. So do you hope to see, um, some of these candidates nationwide run again and hope for a rematch or Oh, yes, for sure. I mean, in regards to, um, since you mentioned that district, um, I mean, it's unfortunate that the results came out to be as they are. But no. I mean, obviously, kind of our choice was, I, I was rooting for Lauren. Um, right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's it's unfortunate that she didn't get it. But I mean, it looks like she's doing great. I haven't talked with her personally or anything. But just kind of, um, it looks like she's um, she's hopeful as well. I mean, I think, um, despite what had happened, I think we're all realizing that this is a bigger movement uh, and then um, just kind of greater than ourselves too. So so there's kind of adjustments that need to be made, but I think um, she's, I mean, I hope she reruns for sure. Right. I hope she reruns because um, yeah, I mean, at this point, I think now voters kind of after now reading about post-election analysis and all of that they'll realize that oh crap we missed out lauren was the choice um and so then they'll realize that in 2022 so i definitely encourage her to run and i can't even reach out to her and tell her that but but yeah i'm not sure what her thoughts are she has her own kind of personal career life and, and goals and whatnot so with her community too so so yeah but i would definitely be supportive of that right um so to start us off officially you're running to be the congressman of California's 34th congressional district. Um, you've run, you've won the primary runoff, so you're advancing to the general where you're going to face the two-term Democratic incumbent, Jimmy Gomez. Um, your campaign was endorsed by former presidential candidates Andrew Yang and Marianne Williamson. So I just wanted to ask for the listeners out there, what are you running your campaign on that Congressman Gomez is not, and why is your platform the better one for the people of your district? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, in regards to, um, we're in a time and age where uh, people are dying, not just, uh, I mean, physically, because 
because now they're more prone to sickness and we have COVID-19. And um, if you're without proper care and without proper shelter, what happens? You 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 get sick. And um, and that's where everything's going. And I, I, I know it sounds harsh, but in a time and age where we should really be making sure that there's not a single unhoused brother or sister on the streets, especially in our own city, in our own communities. Um, and and making sure that if we're not doing that, what are we doing as a government if a government is supposed to be controlled by the people and serving the people's interests? And so if that's the case, then why isn't every person housed? And so I think in regards to running for this race, um, I decided to run because it's 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 very time sensitive. We can't waste another two years to reelect somebody who does the bare minimum and just copies whatever Nancy Pelosi says. He's basically a robot in the sense he just copies whatever she does. Um, yeah, he, he, he might be in the Congressional Progressive Caucus, um, yeah. but that doesn't really say much. Um, in terms of the actions that he's taken. So as just concrete examples with COVID-19, we have people not being able to pay rent for a couple, few, now, now going on to several months. And we have that eviction day coming up. But in regards to, if you, if, if you were to ask him point blank, do you support rent relief or do you support rent and mortgage cancellation? He'll say the first, but it's like, Come on, like our communities, they're that financially distressed and hurting right now to that point. And I feel like our representatives with him just being a, another example of that, nothing personal against him, with just him being an example of this on a national scale, our representatives aren't being connected to their communities. They're not hearing the actual suffering that's going on in our communities right now. They're not able to, even if they want to know what that feels like, they're not able to experience it for some reason. And that disconnect is being reflected in DC with the corporate bailouts, um, with, with them legislating on their own and then coming back to our communities and saying, here are crumbs, what do you guys think? And so I think we kind of need to wake up on a greater scale of like, I think what the Bernie revolution and um, our revolution and, and Andrew Yang and Marianne Williamson and Tulsi Gabbard and these various um, great kind of outspoken presidential candidates kind of did was let us out of our bird cages and say, hey guys, it's not right like what's happening like we really need to switch it to being people focused right now and so i think 10 years ago if jimmy my opponent had ran that's he'd be a great candidate of choice but i think we we've come to very extreme times right now where we really need a progressive and not just a liberal who says he's progressive so supporting or co-sponsoring legislation that representative ilhan omar had with rent mortgage and cancellation or supporting bills like recurring cash relief for people every month when when their pockets are hurting and so um he's all for means tested um in terms of even with any cash relief it has to be means tested it's like what the in times of need right now you're gonna do a means test like and so i don't know if that he thinks that's progressive then that's i leave that to him but i think what our community needs is more and so i actually had no idea i'd be running for office 10 months ago um, and or no, 11 months ago. So I keep on now that as time progresses, I have to add that one month. So <laughs> 11 months ago. And so, um, I, yeah, I had no idea I was running, but it just kind of came to a point where like I was 
I was let out of my birdcage back in 2018 when I was helping Kenneth Mejia run for U.S. Congress here in the same position, same seat, same Congress district. And um, he ran as a Green Party member. He won um, 28 percent of the total vote of the voters in our district. And the reason why that's important is because there's only less than one percent registered as green. So that means a bulk of 20 or so something, a good third of Democrats decided to vote for the Green Party candidate. And so when I saw that, I thought, wow, like this is this 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 tells all like this shows this shows what's going on and how our needs aren't being met. And so <clears throat> in regards to that, I think what I was one of the core campaign team members of Kenneth's general campaign uh, committee, and uh, we did all that we could. Unfortunately, he lost. And so um, I think all of us sort of then split and did our own local organizing. Some people went and um, set up great organizations like K-Town for All and um, and then go volunteer and lead in other groups like Ground Game LA, uh, DSA LA, um, LA Can and other various groups. <clears throat> um, Sunrise Movement LA, Our Revolution LA, all these other groups all over. And so I kind of fell into the neighborhood council, not fell into, but I chose the neighborhood council route because for me in Los Angeles, we have 99 neighborhood councils and each neighborhood council serves about 40,000 residents of, city, of the city. And it was started in the 90s because <clears throat> the city council and the people and, and some other decision makers felt that uh, the city had too much on their plate, so they needed an extra layer of representatives that were elected by people of their own community. And so I ran in our MacArthur Park Neighborhood Council, um, and I secured a spot. And, and while kind of serving there, it just really, there were times where I cried a lot and um, in regards to just seeing how everything that we do, we try to stop zoning from coming in, in terms of, I mean, gentrification projects from coming in, uh, where they're zoning for these high luxury <coughs> condo buildings, um, where they only have like 5% available for low income housing. And so, so kind of those things and couples on top, I just thought, you know what, it's, it's time sensitive right now. And I was trying to get Kenneth to run. He didn't want to run again. Um, and, and so I decided, Hey, you know what? Um, Jimmy's only been in office for three years. They say that you can get remove a incumbent who's been in office less than five years easier than somebody who's been there for 20 years. Right. And so, um, with that, it's, it was like, ah, oh, like it's almost tipped over. We just need to push it. It's like, it's like when that, when that Kit Kat bar is falling out of the snack <laughs> machine and it's like halfway there and you're like, ah, oh, somebody else hit it and you're like you're not gonna hit it uh fine i'll hit it and so it's like it's it's kind of that urgency because that's what the people need and like so our campaign um and i'll finish really quickly timber um but our campaign committee it's called paid for by david kim for congress financial freedom love and justice for all and what that means is we have a 35 plus 40 year wage stagnation ever increasing uh widening wealth gaps <clears throat> Uh, we have people living on debt and incurring more debt to live. Uh, we have two families living to one-bedroom apartments in our district. The per capita income is twelve to fifteen thousand dollars in many parts of my district. Um, giving them UBI, giving them Medicare for all, <clears throat> doing a homes guarantee, a Green New Deal—all of this would be able to help them so much. And and now it's really time for a second FDR. 
um, era because the people have been neglected for the 30, 40 years. Um, pens pensions died basically in 1978 when the 401k was created, when big companies lobbied Congress to pass on the risk of retirement savings to the people and not the company. Um, and so now with that, um, you're not helping when you're not increasing the wages. And now people don't have savings. They don't have Social Security, the other two legs of the chair. And so you've really put the people in just a downward spiral to hopelessness. And what kind of nation are you if that's what you're leading with? And so not to say that Jimmy's like that. I don't know him again. But I just based on his actions, his time in Congress now, we just need something a little more urgent for our communities. And so so that's why I'm running. Right. Um, to point out two things to what you just spoke, like you said, you mentioned um, being out of touch with the district. We saw how that can backlash even against a decades long incumbent like Elliot Engel last night. Um, you know, he hid from his district during the COVID outbreak and he kind of paid the price for it yesterday. Um, and also you said time, time is of the essence. So I'd also like to mention that when he first won, when he won for the first time, his seat, Congressman Gomez, um, he held off from getting sworn in because he wanted to remain as a state lawmaker for California, which had him miss out on some legislation votes in D.C. that would have directly impacted um, your district. So mm -hmm. do, you, do you think that he definitely does lack the commitment to represent the people of the district? And that should be like why he gets voted out. He's not he doesn't care or. Yeah, um, I mean, I think it's just, I mean, again, I don't know the guy. I'm not going to assume who what his character is because I don't think that's right. But in regards to just his track record, that's what we'll talk about. But, I mean, yes, he did He did do um, great legislation. He did, he did, uh, he was behind a lot of great legislation when he was the state, leg the state legislator for California. But um, over time, though, I mean, if you just kind of see the passion sort of dies down and he sort of becomes this, I'm, I'm not sure what it is, um, what, what, is, what it's called, a political figure or influencer type of politician and not somebody that's, that's passionate. And, and, and I, and I get it because if you're working in that sort of position, you're flying back and forth between your community and DC. I mean, I'm not saying that's a good excuse, but I get it. Um, and you're flying back and forth between DC and your community. Like you kind of might get jaded and it might just be a thing now where now it's, you're just, I mean, I mean, he has good, he has probably a great heart, but I think kind of the conviction is what we need uh, a stronger conviction where you're able to take the vote and, and be that alone vote. Um, I'm not, I mean, <clears throat> regarding the issues that affect our community. And so, I mean, with, with, with regards to the, the things that he could be doing on like the Ways and Means Committee or the things that he could be doing with co-sponsoring legislation that um, Ilhan, Representative Ilhan Omar does or, or that sort of things is what we need right now. And so I think, I mean, I'm not sure if that example that you brought up when he didn't start Congress as, as early as he could have um, because he was doing state legislation. If that um, is, a, is a sign of that, I mean, I'm not sure of that, but I would say that that's the general feel for our communities here. And that's not what we want right now. Right. Um, and also to kind of just gear towards other highlight elections happening, one in California, um, Nancy Pelosi, she's facing the her first serious democratic challenger in the general Shahid Batar. Um, Ooh, Shahid. <laughs> um 
So <clears throat> that brings me to my question. Do um why do you feel that Nancy Pelosi needs to be voted out from your angle? Um, because I have my own angle. I just want to hear yours. Yeah. No, I mean, again, again, politicians, and this is why. I mean, somebody was saying, "Oh, look at California. Look at how the term limits work there." And it's like, dude, every situation is completely different, and there's a way. It's all about the implementation. But I, I actually am supportive of, of strong congressional term limits. Um, because I think that over time you you get jaded. It's easy to get that way, and and we and it's always it's good to have uh, people that are actually on the ground working in the communities daily um, to be able to have the opportunities when that opportunity comes up. And, and if it's and I don't think twenty years is a good window to do that, or thirty years or whatever. Right. Um, um, she was elected at the end of the eighties, right? I believe so. Yeah, she's been yeah. there for over two decades. Yeah. So, I mean, in regards to, um, I mean, she's. I guess you would say. I think kind of what this year has shown us is there's a difference between a progressive and a liberal now. Mm -hmm. um, clearly, she represents the liberal. Uh, where what are the characteristics of a liberal, David? I mean, you could say for one thing, uh, corporately being funded. That's for one. Um, number two, being influenced by those corporate. Uh, donors. Uh, obviously, kind of everyone sort of knows or those who are interested and care to know, um, know that or or I mean, if you aren't aware, then please, I'm letting you know now. But she she basically told the leaders of the farm industry, hey, I'm not going to really pass Medicare for all. I mean, I, that's it. That's that very short in a nutshell, but kind of in that sense. And so it's like in, in a time where people actually need something so so transforming and, and healing to our lives, like something like Medicare for all, you're holding it up? Why? Like, why? That should be your first and foremost priority as Speaker of House right now, these monumental things. And and again, I mean, I don't know her. <laughs> I don't know if Shahid knows her, but um, I don't think it's a personal thing between them either. He's really, he's really passionate and loves his community so much too. And I think I mean, we haven't actually talked on the phone yet, but we will be in the future. Um, uh, not to give any previews away, which I kind of did, but but we um, but we will be talking and kind of what I, I I think he would agree with me in the sense that um, we nothing's personal for us, but it's like we want to see this this declared love that you have for your communities and the people and and these cliche words you throw about actually have meaning, actually be seen in action. And for us, it means taking care of the people because pre-COVID-19, we had masses of people working two to three jobs just to make ends meet. And now we have masses of people having no jobs to make ends meet. Right. And in terms of the leadership that she could have done and the battle she could have chosen fought, she picked all the wrong ones, I feel. Um, and so in, in that sense, I think um, if you, and I don't know, you're probably... Um, I'm assuming supportive of Shahid as well. Yes. Uh, okay, cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, if you're supportive of Nancy, I love you too. So don't get me wrong. Um, I just think our our beliefs and differences and interests are, are different in that aspect um, and convictions. But in regards to that, I think like we clearly know that he has what it takes. I mean, in terms of the legal expertise, I mean, I'm an attorney. He's a law professor. He definitely kind of everybody sort of falls into this. Uh, like kind of doze of just listening to him talk because he says all the right things um, in that sense. And, and he's been, he's been, he's, he, he has been and is 
uh, an organizer on the ground within his communities that he's in. And he's and he's really pushing and fighting for change and not afraid to call things out. And so I think that's what we really need. And that's what um, last night also showed. Was it last night or two nights ago? Last night, right? Uh, well, my day was so long today. That was last night, the election. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, got it. Uh, yeah, I my my days are so long. Um, so I I yeah, but um, but yeah. So last night showed us like with um, with Elliot Engel losing, it's like yes, like this is this is where we're showing where now even despite the establishment Democrats endorsements, like the people are smarter. Like we are reading more, we are caring more, and I think it's also this moment where all these different presidential candidates. And I, and that's why we have um, debates like that, to, to have people be more interested, to have them learn, to be more aware. Because I think what happened for all of us on a more collective scale, and I feel that it's growing, is um, I think like when we were little, probably your parents, my parents for sure, and, and I'm sure yours did too, would tell us like, go stand up for yourself, or at least our older siblings, if we have any, would be like, go stand up for yourself, speak up for yourself. And like, and it's, and it comes from not this like, take what's mine, this arrogance or pride, but like standing up from the power that you have, because you're also human being, there's no need to have this mindset of people looking down on you or, or thinking that it's okay to be taking things away from you, but really stand up for what you have, because that's where your power is. And that's where I think, um, I have a background in meditation, Tambir, but I, I think that's where this self-compassion and love comes from because we we talk about on an individual scale within the life coaching, self-development thing of self-compassion, but I think on a collective scale, the people are realizing, holy crap, we're financially hurting right now and we keep on re-electing the same people. It's not working. No, right. like we need our needs right now. Like we're hurting. We don't know what's going to happen in a couple months when the moratoriums are going to be lifted off of evictions. Like we need like people that will fight for us. And I think it's this realization, self-compassion on an individual collective scale that is now being lit, lit um, first with Bernie and, and all of these other great leaders. And so I think that's what's happening right now. And so in a matter of a year or two, I see that even expanding. And so, yes, go go run again, 2022, um, when that time comes and, and start. I mean, I know I was on Twitter earlier today um, and there was a candidate who declared her candidacy, I think just yesterday. Um, and uh, she's, she's running in 2022 and that's amazing. Um, so yeah, so definitely be involved and engage in your communities wherever you're at, um, because that's what we need to do. Arika Rhodes. So for those who are interested, but but yeah, um, and then for for things like and and if you're not interested in politics, do what Tembir's doing right now. He's being an awesome podcast host, and he he. I mean, you can obviously see through the tweets and the podcast that he does that he has a caring heart for the community and people. And like these are other ways that you can go ahead and be involved. But sorry, go ahead. I cut you off. Thank you much for that. Um, um, to also speak to your point, you know, it clearly is a stronger mandate for progressivism now because um, AOC, for example, in 2018, she only won narrowly to Crowley. Um, this time around, she crushed it. And then um, also Bowman, he, he beat Engel at a much larger margin than AOC beat Crowley for the first time. So there's definitely that. But I wanted to ask you, I wanted to turn to the presidential election for a bit. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we were witnessing a powerful 
racial tension in our society right now with police brutality and social justice. And yet Joe Biden and Donald Trump both, um, alongside with, once again, Nancy Pelosi, they all disagree with notions to defund the police. They oppose it. So I wanted to ask you, are they wrong for doing so? And if so, why? Yeah, um, they are definitely wrong for doing so. I think what our federal leadership really needs is and I think what our cities and communities need is very, very strong leadership for the communities and the people right now. And, and I'm, I'm not saying strong leadership as a Trump because that's not leadership. Um, but in <laughs> regards to um, we need strong advocates and strong leadership. And that's where I feel like for L.A., like, I don't know if you know much about L.A., but we're a clusterfuck here. Like, sorry, sorry if, I, am I, if I'm the first. <laughs> sorry if I'm the first one to cuss on your podcast, but. Um, don't worry about but it but yeah no we we are a mess here like everybody like i just tweeted like i think 30 minutes before jumping on to this podcast like um la is full of a series of feudal kingdoms like each family member relatives in different city state federal governments and like um it's interesting i mean and then they're all and then a lot of them are bought out by developers and um and so kind of in that sense like if the federal government i'll go into the defunding police really quick but for the federal government like if they had taken a strong stance and come in and say hey guys this is what we will go ahead and help with in terms of housing with la and what we think you should do and this is how we can work together like we have 65 plus unhoused brothers and sisters in our communities here but the federal government really needs to take a strong push because our local politics are so corrupt um in city council and that's why we need also another kind of federal representative fight for us and and i don't see him doing that anytime soon because my opponent's wife is the chief of operations for the mayor's office anyway and so that's another level that i mean i don't even want to lift up that kind of open that can or, or that and that, that cover and see what's behind that. I'm not even going to go there, but, um, and I'm not accusing him of anything. So whoever's listening, I'm, I'm just saying like, there's just so many things. And so for the federal government right now in LA, the LAPD and the LA County Sheriff, they are deadly, deadly, deadly forces. And for them to be called to every situation where we should actually be sending medical health workers, mental health workers, social workers, people that can actually, from our communities that are actually be able to help them. Like that's how we are able to go ahead and provide care and healing and the resources that are needed for a community. But then if you send cops and police officers to protest, to go beat people, to go to go uh, kill people, um, and, and, and just to have complete disregard for human life, like, what are we doing? Like, we can't be spending 54% of our LA City Council budget on the LAPD. And I mean, recently the mayor decided to defund about 100 million, but that's not enough. Um, we should be actually be reinvesting into the care and services and resources for our marginalized communities, for our black and brown communities, especially. And so in that sense, like, why don't people have healthcare? Why isn't everybody housed? Um, I think somewhere i i saw a number if we if we were to just even reduce the police budget lapd budget by 20 percent and just allocate that just to homelessness we can eradicate it like it's simple but it's not being done because everybody's bought out and that's not their priority um and so i think 
um, kind of on a federal level, like we need strong leadership in DC right now to go ahead and say, no, like we need to, we need to be examples for our communities in a time where there's chaos, when a time where it's makes sense and it's natural. I mean, because we are in chaotic times, we're in a pandemic where it's natural to be reactive as a human being. And so that shows up in our leadership locally too. And so we need strong grounded leaders in DC who will be able to say, Hey guys, this is this is what we're standing for and this is this is the minimum that we would um like to really extend and show the people that we really do care and love all peoples because not one soul is less than another and so black lives matter and our black communities matter our brown communities matter and and so i think it's a time for biden and nancy pelosi to really take that that position and stance right now because if not then i don't know why they're going into this election thinking that people will be gladly voting for them and i know that sounds harsh but i think it's very important for them to be reminded that they need to win and earn the people's vote right now um and it's a very crucial time for them to do that and so i hope that they yeah. they realize that so if if if, if anything joe biden especially should learn that you can't make the Hillary Clinton mistake and take voters for granted. Otherwise, you're going to have Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Florida ruin your chances again. Um, yeah. So, um, last, is there any other message you'd like to put out there um, tonight as to why you're running or to specifically dive into a certain policy? Anything at all? Oh, yeah. No, thank you so much for asking, um, Timber, and thanks for having me again. I think for us right now in LA, um, I think it's what 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 i feel is just kind of the lead cause of everything here in dc is is the fact that they're not engaging and co-governing with the people co-governing with the communities that they're actually based and grounded in that the the communities that actually elected them there shouldn't be these teletown halls that are once a year or um, once a month near campaign time because you're you don't want to lose to your opponent your challenger and so like there should be something greater than that where it like I, I had so many people tell me yesterday, it was so hard for them to access the teletown hall because you had to go to the Facebook and then the Facebook said to go to the government website and then the government website to say to sign up on the form. And then it told you to wait for the email. And then if you got the email, then you could log into the teletown hall. <laughs> so a lot of people weren't able to go to his teletown hall and he does these like after the fact after things have been done in dc and never before the fact and like if he starts doing it before the fact after listening to this podcast or somebody telling him that that's great and that's another reason why challengers should run because we help the current incumbents get closer to the needle um i mean how far is up to them but i think what we are focusing in la right now is a time where people are financially distressed and hurt and need money, need care, need medical care, um, need cash, need housing, um, need uh, people to actually say and not just give them lip service and say like, oh, I hope everything's okay. And I know that we casually say that to each other individually in conversations as well. But I think it's a time where during COVID-19, we've realized, oh, are you okay? Like we've, we ourselves individually have been able to go a little deeper to our heart where we're actually not just doing lip service anymore. And we're actually putting this power and force behind the words we say. And, and I think that's what we're now wanting to expect from our leaders. Like we don't want lip service anymore. We actually want leaders saying that, hey, we care about you, then show us, show us what that looks like. And so our campaign is really um, prioritizing the people, our communities first. We rebranded our Logan. 
um, our, our, our not our slogan, our slogan. Um, we rebranded our slogan uh, uh, earlier last week, and um, it's it's communities first. And I think it really comes down to co-governing with the people in the communities. Uh, so for those who are listening, I know this is um, uh, an East Coast based podcast, but for those who are listening, uh, who might be in Los Angeles, California, in our district, 34th CD. Uh, 34th Congressional District. Um, I do have office hours. You can sign up for office hours if you're a constituent. And that's something that I would like to continue where I'm talking with the communities and my constituents before I go to DC and make these big decisions um, because I would love my community's input and feedback and I would love to co-govern with the people. And that's what's needed. That's number one. Um, I think we really need to ground our people uh, ground our officials. They're like balloons with their, with their strings cut off and floating in the air aimlessly. Like, they need to be grounded to their communities. That's the first thing that needs to happen. And so I'm, I'm very deeply touched by, by leaders like Shahid and, and other great leaders, Jen in Florida running uh, for office and, and um, uh, Hector in, in New Jersey and, and all these different great leaders and Russ. And I can't mention everybody, but, but yeah, all these great <laughs> leaders because I think we've all realized like we haven't, oh, it would be great to be in a room, all of us. Oh my gosh, imagine that. Right. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I think all of us can agree, like we love our community so much and now's the time, like we can't just waste another two years because people are hurting right now and that's an understatement. And so, um, so yeah, our, I think that's what we're pushing for. And that is what we're pushing for, uh, uh, financial freedom to get our people to see, to be able to have their own bootstraps to pull themselves up with, to be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I think right now for us in LA specifically, we need to pass something like homes guarantee. I know that we've been talking about Medicare for all, Green New Deal, UBI, and those are amazing things that we should all pass. Um, and I don't think one thing is the solution to all. Um, because I think they all help each other and they're all integrative approaches that are really helping the people together. And so I support them all. Uh, but I think now is the time to also talk about housing, a homes guarantee. We have 70 billion plus dollars in improvements that need to be made to existing federal public housing. We have less than 10,000 public housing units in LA because there was a movement against public housing in the 50s here in LA, uh, which is extremely small compared to other cities and counties all over the country. Uh, we need to build social housing units. We need to provide permanent supportive housing. Um, so we need to be, we need to guarantee, we need to guarantee some sort of um, standards for our people in the country in that sense, because if you think about it, like our rent is what ties us down financially. It makes us the majority right. of our income. That's that's what ties us down and nothing's being done about that. And, and, and then California and New York, you know, you and I both, we know the rent is extremely high yeah both cities and states so definitely yeah so so with that like biden doesn't have a task force on housing i was very deeply disappointed when he announced his task forces um but yeah with that being said our campaign is about being grounded to the community bringing our elected officials back to the communities and um, really helping the people in all areas and bring and bringing the people as the main focus again. So if you can volunteer, go to davidkim2020.com forward slash volunteer. Um, go volunteer or donate. Um, we need all the help that we can. We're going up against a corporate incumbent who has just 98% 98.8% of his donations are just from PACs alone um, and, and high donors. And so 
um, mostly corporate packs, uh, ranging from sixty plus thousand dollars in police union packs uh, and per private prison money to big farm to etc. And so I think right now, um, put your money where your mouth is. Like, where's the action? Speak louder than words. Like, it's not just sayings. Like, it, these idioms kind of came from somewhere in that sense. Some of them, um, and in that sense. And so I think it's time to really hold our uh, leaders to the test because if they were hired as first-year employees um, of a company, they probably would have been fired, maybe. Um, and so I think uh, we kind of need to realize that. So go help out my campaign, Shahid's campaign, anyone else's campaign, um, anything that aligns with your heart, because I think that's what's most important. Right. Um, thank you so much for your time, David. It was an honor to sit here and talk with you. Um, and again, I wish you the best of luck. So again, to everybody listening, um, David's website is davidkim2020.com. Follow him on Twitter at davidkim2020. That's one M. I'm going to write it in this episode's bio to refer to. Um, also, follow me on Twitter at it's Tunbeer C. Subscribe to Pillow to Talk with Tunbeer on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Share and give it a rating. Um, greatly appreciated. I'm working on trying to have this progressive summit here. So, again, thank you, David. Um, for joining it. You're the third one. I hope to have more. Um, so it was a wonderful opportunity to sit here and have this interview with you. I wish everyone a safe and enjoyable week.